0: Right, today I'm in Portsmouth with Daryl Carter. Daryl, thanks very much for uh, agreeing to talk to us here today. So you're a tipster, you're a pundit, I suppose you're an entertainer, you go in the boxes at race courses and sort of talk to people, and you're a punter, so which one do you think of as you?
1: Probably best describe myself as a, as a full-time tipster, or a professional tipster, if you like. Uh, the punting and tipping, they complement each other. Um, they both make up a poor portion of the income for the month what probably couldn't do one without the other um but the but at the moment i'm in a stage where i suppose i'm building a foundation going forward um and who knows what the future holds hopefully the punting will be able to sustain itself in its own in the, in the near future um and vice versa uh, but ultimately describe myself as a, as a professional tipster that that is my main income
0: okay you you've um You've got to this point with the uh, the well-trodden route of being a scaffolder for 12 years. It's not everybody that's been a scaffolder for 12, year, 12 years and then gets into the racing game full-time. So tell us a bit about that.
1: Yeah, scaffolding for 12 years. Um, fully qualified scaffolder. Enjoyed it for for a while and then it really went the other way and I just felt I had to get out. there. I didn't think there was any more for me doing that type of job. I'd run jobs, I'd done... Lots of different types of work. It wasn't really sparking my interest anymore. Um, I didn't really enjoy mixing with the type. Of, for example, I was scaffolding for twelve years. There's not one person in my phone book that I would call from scaffolding, in all honesty. Just felt myself. I suppose mixing with the type of people that I didn't. And you know, not everybody. But I didn't want to fall in fall into that crowd, especially given how I was younger. You know, and uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But I, I knew there was something more for me. It wasn't just it wasn't just scaffolding. I was quite a quick learner at scaffolding when I was when I was out scaffolding. But uh, yeah, I just got to the point where I need, I needed something else, and I didn't for, I didn't think that I could sustain scaffolding going through the later years of my life. And ultimately, this the point where I'd had to leave scaffolding, and go and do something else, was going to happen sooner or, sooner or later anyway. So um, yeah, and I, I took t- 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 these steps into horse racing.
0: Now, you, you just one was talking beforehand, you described yourself to me as a tearaway, but then when you went on to be a bit more um, detailed, that was a bit of an understatement, wasn't
1: it? Well, yeah, I mean, as you, as all the kids are, uh, when they're younger, you know, those years, 16 through to 20, 21, I guess, especially around this area, I, I suppose, yeah, I gave my parents a nightmare. I was, you know, I was, I suppose, out fighting every, every single week. I don't proclaim to be a tough guy, but that's just the way it was um causing all sorts of hassle, getting in trouble with the police you know that that type of thing it oh, caused them i'll oh, my parents a lot of ag um looking back now and I, i'm probably even more grateful for my parents because we we went through that together at a younger age uh just me being a, a pain in the pain in the ass really um but but yeah i, I was a terror away and things weren't going down the right road they definitely weren't going down the right road
0: well they nearly went down the, a really bad road didn't they
1: well, yeah, they did. A, a, you know, a witness failed to turn up to court for it, for example. Um, in, in one scenario, and thankfully, you know, I was given another chance to go a different way. That was the last time I would ever appear in court, um, but that that didn't look great.
0: And that paled into insignificance to the um, other thing that happens here. Yeah,
1: being stabbed. Yes, yeah, so I, I was stabbed twice in one sitting. If you like, um, that was enough to. That's enough to to, to really you know, turn, try and turn things around. Um, I, I was basically out for the night out, and uh, I actually wasn't my fault. I wasn't you know, involved in any sort of fight or anything. I was actually protecting someone from being hit from behind with a brick. And um, as I grabbed their hand, the guy tried to attack me with it. We ended up getting into a bit of a scuffle. We happened to be straight outside of his house. He went back into his house and got, and got a knife out, and uh, came back out and uh, started swinging it at me. Uh, we again got into a bit of a fight he leapt up and stabbed me once in the stomach and then stabbed me again straight down the arm so i've lost half of my bicep through that um lots of blood as you can imagine the, the last thing i sort of remember is being laid on the floor and rushed to hospital and then i was on a bed about to be taken into theater for, for emergency surgery and my parents were told to say goodbye to me at that time and it, it was at a time when I'd been a right little git, really, for a long time. And I kind of felt, thinking about it now, it's probably the first time I've really thought about it since then, that it was a sign to say, this has got to stop or this is what's going to happen. And and looking at your parents' faces when they're looking over the bed at you, when you know they're saying goodbye to you, it's what you've put them through that is, that is the most difficult thing to deal with, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a uh, it was a life changing moment. That's for sure. But thankfully, thankfully, I got through it. The guy didn't go to prison or nothing. Nothing really really come of it for, on his end. Um, but it was it was definitely a, a moment in your life where you go that you can't do that to so people.
0: Were you were you interested in racing and betting before this happened, or did you suddenly find a focus?
1: No, I found a focus. I found a focus. Really, I um, I, I basically threw myself into scaffolding, but scaffolding became a lot more difficult when you lose a part of your bicep, you know, and it, and it took a good couple of years to to really try and rehabilitate that arm. I mean, like in the winter, for example, like my, my fingers will go numb um, and it's difficult to lift anything from that side. So that arm is not as strong as that arm. But yeah, I, I was looking for a focus on the side. So that was probably leading to me thinking, am I going to be able to do this for the rest of my life, scaffolding? So I needed the focus, and um, horse racing gave me that focus. As cynical as it sounds, um, I know it sounds a little bit overdramatic, but it, but it really was a bad time, to be honest, in, in my life. Um, and thankfully for horse racing, yeah, it's given me a focus on the side. And, and, and I've just worked harder and harder and harder to try and put myself in a better position, I
0: guess. Well, that's a, that's a, that is sort of where the difference lies, isn't it? Because a lot of people that found a focus betting, that would have even driven them even further down the road, wouldn't it? Well, yeah. So you but so you did it. You got inquiring into into how form works. And...
1: Well, yeah, basically we we would go to the bookies. I'd still go out to the bookies every Saturday with my friends. You know, we'd go, before we'd go out for a few drinks, we'd always go to the bookies, put the football accumulators on, have a couple of bets on the horse, and we'd we'd do that on a regular basis. And you would see the sim, same sort of horses pop up on the screen, and uh, you know, you would think, well, I would always think, well, he beat him last week, so he we must beat him this week you know and he, he was a favorite and then you'd see that that result would come in and it'd be reversed around the other way and all of a sudden it just start, it just lets your mind start ticking and start thinking, well, why has that happened and, and i'm quite inquisitive I'm, I'm i'm more inclined to ask questions why something's happened Look like for even in racing now so you know I, i'd want to know why a horse ran poorly last time as opposed to why it will run better this time um, and, and just going off that that was enough to spark my interest. So I wanted to have a deeper look, and I want to look myself. I'm very, I love teaching myself, which is, I know it's silly when there's lots of advice and stuff out there, but I, I do think finding things out for yourself and what works and what doesn't work is is a way, you know, ultimately to success, really.
0: Yeah, so rather than going out pissing it up every night, you were digging your head into the form book
1: for burning the midnight oil, basically. So. Absolutely, yeah. So I'd get from scaffolding at about five o'clock, and from then I would have dinner, and then I would be in this office, or on my laptop, or computer, wherever I was at the time, until 11, 12 o'clock at night, just trying to trying to build my knowledge whilst I'm still at work. Um, yeah, and then it just sort of leads to the point where you, you sort of feel, I'm enjoying this loads more, and I, I don't really want to, it feels like your day job's almost getting in the way of what you actually really want to do, and and that's kind of when you learn, that's exactly what I want to do, that's that's what I love to do, so that that's slowly my passion turned turn into to horse racing. And were you betting
0: while you were learning?
1: Yeah, but, but only very small stakes, you know, five is 10 is 15 quid, something like that, uh, on horses and stuff. Um. Yeah, I, I, but I think you need to. I think you need to, I do think you need to have a bet for it to lose. You always learn from a loss. So I think if, you, if there's no, if you're not gonna lose anything by making a decision, then you're not really gonna learn. It, it Does that make sense? So I think, I think that helped me, betting small stakes, but betting on my own opinion and finding out where I'm going wrong and, and what's going on and seeing how much money I'm losing or how much money I'm making. Um, I, th- I think it's a big part of, of learning is, is having something to lose.
0: Okay, so was there like a, a eureka moment where you realise, hang on, I've got this, I'm, I'm getting a few quid out of this. Was, was there like a, a bet or a time when you suddenly thought, yeah, this could be this could actually work for me?
1: Not really, if I'm being honest, it wasn't, it was just, it was more that I felt I was building up a knowledge and it was more that I would come and I would speak to someone on a race course or something and then I'd be able to have a conversation with someone about racing. Whereas before, I wouldn't really be able to hold a conversation with someone about, about horses, about form, about ground, about track trip, anything like that. I, w- I wasn't able to hold a conversation and I was always nervous talking to people. It was only when I started realising, hold on, I've just had a 15-minute conversation with this guy about why I think this horse would win, and I didn't sound like an absolute idiot. Um, that was sort of more of a confidence booster rather than any sort of like winning money or a bet at the time. Okay, now you,
0: you told me that you were earning 36 grand a year as a scaffolder. Mm. That's not bad wages, so you've turned all that in, yeah, speculatively, to try and edge your way into a, an industry which are notoriously... Um, difficult for an outsider to get into even as a tipster so what, was there like an overlap when you started to uh earn a few quid before taking the plunge
1: yeah th- th- there was an overlap i was earning i was earning there would be days where i'd be scuffling and i would come back from my lunch break at half one and they would be asking me for example to stay on till five or six but i'd already earned my day's money i'd had a horse run at the one o'clock at utox or whatever and i'd already earned my day's money and it was just that it was that was happening more and more frequently, and I was getting less and less enthusiastic about my day job now I wasn't stupid and just thinking I'm just going to throw it all in and, and go and do it you know I had to get a bank behind me I had to do it the right way you know and and when you're building up to the point where you're going to do it the right way, those months that you're working full time are just they're horrible it gets worse um but, yeah, I was earning a couple of quid while I was doing it, and that, ultimately, that's what forced me to, to leave Scaffolding really.
0: Yeah, so why did you decide to become a tipster and do press work rather than just trying to concentrate on betting solely?
1: I don't know. I suppose I wasn't confident enough to uh, to think that I'd make a, a living full-time just through betting. I've also got a, a partner, a dog, a, free, a, a a house, you know, a car. I've got things to pay for. And I, it's easier to not convinced, but have the discussion with your partner to say that, look, I'm going to leave this really well-paid job, essentially. We're not going to have that money coming in if you've got some sort of income to replace it, you know, and the tipping side of it obviously wasn't doing that at the beginning, but it but it is now. And I enjoy doing it. I enjoy having an opinion, a strong opinion against people. Uh, and and I enjoy, enjoy watching other people win. So that side of it, look, like, there was never a point where I gave somebody a, a, a winning tip and they it won and they were ecstatic that I didn't enjoy. And that was just the the road I wanted to go down. I will look to, you know, hopefully be able to sustain the punting on, on its own two legs down the line. But there's no rush for that. I've got, hopefully, a long future in this game. And, and, and at the moment, it's all about building the foundation, knowing what, works what doesn't work and in terms of the punting knowing you know how many how much of a loss i can take before i go mentally insane or you know and things like that so yeah
0: now talked in the first part about you sort of looking for press and tipping work and stuff took you a while didn't it to actually get your foot in
1: the door anywhere took me ages Took me absolutely ages um just knocking on every door you got a thousand no's get a thousand no's it's just you just got to keep pushing and keep trying but honestly i even when i left scaffolding for it in full time i didn't know where the money was where my income was going to come from where my money was going to come from i just knew that i had to keep working hard and and keep and keep trying and keep sending emails and keep knocking on doors it's very very difficult it's very difficult to get it in um but eventually you know hard work tends to pay off so i'm hoping that 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 was the case and yeah it it brought me i think my first gig i had some small paying gigs which were like i would write 10 pound an article for the sportsman online for example just a small outfit you just write a preview or something like that for them um and then the racing paper started and i managed to get a little bit of a gig going there just writing the the verdicts at the bottom of the race card and uh that was great experience you know it 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 gave me confidence to be able to write, even though I look back at that now and I think, God, the writing's awful. But um, it, those small paying gigs, they, everything builds your confidence up. And I kind of came into this thinking, I'm ready to, to write for Betfair or write for these big companies or whatever. You're not. <laughs> You're not. And writing for the smaller companies and doing little bits, doing your own little blogs and stuff are the things that ultimately build your confidence up. Okay, one of the things you do well, I was going to say, when did you first start going racing? Well, because
0: I'll, I'll carry on. One of the things you do now is you go to, you go racing, quite a lot of big courses as well. Yeah. And you go in the hospitality and you talk to the punters and try and tip them a few winners. Yeah. So, I mean, how do all that come back? So that's quite a good gig, isn't it?
1: That's a great gig. I love that. I really love it. I love mixing with people on course. And ultimately, it's about trying to give them an the experience to come back. Uh, so, it's not just about the tips. It's about the information you can provide and trying to teach people about horse racing, which... You, is, is a fantastic job especially on course you get to be in the parade ring and, and stuff where you probably wouldn't normally get to be if if you weren't doing that job how did that come about that came about because a guy called mark pierce contacted me on linkedin um he had seen that i'd put a 50 to 1 winner up and he just get randomly gave me the opportunity to come to cheltenham of all places and to go and speak into a restaurant a restaurant of 400 people when a restaurant of 200 people i'd never spoken to in front of any audience before at all, and uh, I was terrified. I remember I was absolutely terrified. But my missus said to me, my partner said to me, she said, "If you if you miss out on this opportunity, then then you're an idiot because you just got to go and try it. If you don't like it, never do it again." Because I was almost bottling out going, and if I wouldn't have gone to that, I don't know where I'd be now. Because it's those little moments that that can that can matter. Uh, anyway, went and, went and did it. It was great fight, it was a great buzz to come out afterwards. Like, the nerves before and the relief after was fantastic. He ended up giving me the November meeting, the Cheltenham Festival, I was working all four days in Cheltenham Festival at the same restaurant. It was a really, really good gig. Unfortunately, when the Jockey Club switched up uh, personnel, he, he was made redundant, he's now doing his own um, events firm. But from that led to uh, go and do a gig up in Birmingham on the rooftop for uh, uh, Finance For You, a company who were doing the Royal Ascot things I did that. And then it, you just find that once you start speaking to people, it just they sort of link. So then I got in down at Wincanton, that, that led to Exeter and Sandown and Newbury and everywhere else. So I, it's very, very important just to take those opportunities, I think, the ones that you're most scared of. Because I think if you're in a comfortable position, you're never going to grow. And I think you've got to put yourself in uncomfortable positions to, to, to grow and move forward.
0: So is it, um, is it a lot of pressure tipping the people face to face?
1: Um, you really pitching think... quite
0: odd means to start I mean the Chamberlain Festival you're yeah. to get a winner all week
1: yeah uh but I think pre- I, I honestly think pre- pressure is a privilege because I think if you've earned the position to be under pressure then you must have done something right to be under that sort of pressure so whenever I do feel under pressure I kind of just remember that I've earned the pressure I've earned that sort of pressure from people but it, it is i mean when you get a box for instance like full of builders or something like and they want to just not let you talk and just go wild that's pressure because you have to keep them interested in what you're saying so it's more about pressure of them keeping them interested rather than the tips but obviously a winner the first winner always helps because that's the that's the one they're going to remember when the first race starts so
0: yeah
1: um, what about days where it's gone horribly wrong do you get to leave before the races are run sometimes i do try i, <laughs> tell I do try um yeah it's ne- it's never great going back to a box to see how they're getting on when you've had a terrible day you just don't want to be you on the course that day so you do try and sneak out a little bit earlier yeah. but when you're not
0: bluffing it because you you know put a hell of a lot of work into it so how much work would you you know does go into your uh, each average day where you, you write writing your columns you're tipping i assume you're betting yourself some days you're going racing so how much preparation would go into all that
1: oh it's it's, it's never ending really so I, I, i'm up between half four and five every day i'm in here by our five every day the, i'll do the betfair column that i write daily for them between that time and nine o'clock i'll then have a, have a short break and then be back in here and looking at the previous day's racing for a couple of hours, and then it's the next day's cards, and then it's firing the GG column and then in the evening it's anything else I have to pick up. So like for example now Cheltenham like previews and and we've got loads of stuff going on, all that'll take up all my evening time. But it it does depend on different days. So like if I'm going to a box Two days that will take me because I write down notes and I need to know everything about every single runner pretty much running on that card. I think it's a moral obligation that you have to people on course to make sure that you have all the information that's needed from people. So I take it very, very seriously. Everything I do, I take very seriously. I don't think it's worth doing anything unless you're putting 110% into it. Okay, what about your personal punting? Is is it separate from your tipping? Uh, I back everything I tip. Everything I tip, I back. I back. Uh, I don't mind. I don't mind telling you how much I back. I back at fifty pound a point. Uh, I, anything over the over three points gets a little bit wild west sometimes. So for example, yesterday we had a we had a four point tip that went out and uh, oh, ran a shocker. So I absolutely ran a shocker. But that that sort of bet cost me in the region of four hundred quid. But you know, I've got a betting bank that that takes for those losing runs. It's completely separate to any of the house money. It's completely separate to any of my income from my tipping um but i back essentially everything i tip but they're two different beasts tipping and and punting and um i don't think a lot of people understand that because i can give you a horse great price this morning at nine o'clock say at five six to one i'll go and look at the race and all of a sudden i had the race down to a two horse race the other one i've seen in the race is now pushed out 14 to one all of a sudden i've got a you know a bit bit of value i think i've got a bit of value with the other horse as well backing the pair and, and making sure i'm getting the right odds I can do that. I can't go and tip them a second horse on the day because that one's moved out to a bigger price than I suggested it was. So it swings and roundabouts. Sometimes it works in your favour. Sometimes it doesn't. But the punting side of it is you're a bit more free as opposed to tip side. So you're you know strapped to one horse there and that price.
0: So what is your strategy? So if you made someone a nine to two chance and it's ten to one, yeah. Do you open your shoulders and have more on, or do you think, oh? That's a bit iffy, follow them you know, the market's telling me something.
1: It's a good point there because there there is a case to be made that sometimes there is a horse that can be too good to be true at its price. And I think that comes a lot of that comes down to okay, what yard are they running for, who's who's the owner, what's going on, and and that just comes with experience. But ultimately if I made something a nine to two shot and it's a ten to one shot, I'm gonna have a hell of a bit on it, yeah.
0: Okay, so I assume you get terrible losing runs the same as everybody else does. I mean, I don't know what you define as terrible,
1: but you probably get a bad losing runs. Um, how do you cope with them? Well, you've arrived at just the right time because we're on one now, really. Well, I say we're on one, we are on one, but the, the spreadsheet will tell you it's not as bad as you mentally think it is. Um, how do you cope with them? I have, a, I have a sort of like a little bit of a 20 minute rule. Um, I will get angry, annoyed, frustrated for 20 minutes, and then that's it you've got to move on cuz cuz you're always looking for the next tip. and there's nothing you can do about it ultimately and it's the same with winning like I, I mentioned to you before I said I don't like it when people say you can't boom a winner or you can't get excited about a winner you've got to stay level headed what a load of what a bore my god if you're not in this game to enjoy it enjoy the good days when there are less of you know there's more bad days than there are good days if you're not in it to enjoy it then what are you doing in it like but you know that doesn't mean you go out and celebrate with champagne and get all over the top um You just do it for 20 minutes, you enjoy it for 20 minutes, boom, great winner, everyone's on, you know, it's all good, and then you move forward to the next one.
0: Yeah, now the people, especially people that read tipping columns, and I'm included there, they, um, you're wonderful when you're a winner, but the memories are very short. So does the pressure pile on knowing that there's people out there that are following you in, does that make it even harder to get
1: out of a losing sort of downward cycle? Yeah. So for me personally, what normally happens for me if I have a losing run, I'll be on a losing run, then I'll get two or three winners. But then I'll have a couple of losers again. So it's it's hard to build the momentum out of a, out of a losing run. And the pressure does pile up because I do think you've got a moral obligation to people that are following you. Um, I take it quite seriously. And I think that if I'm offering people, if people are putting money on something that I'm saying, they've got to have some sort of respect for me. So I do think that... I owe them the respect to not only acknowledge the losses, um, but try and deal with it the best I can and and, and get out of it the best, look as quick as I can.
0: Okay, now you said that you like teaching yourself stuff. Did you have any sort of mentor, any sort of punter that took you under their wing, or has it all been self-taught?
1: No, no, it's all, it's, it's all been self-taught, and that sounds arrogant, doesn't it? I don't want to sound arrogant, but it's 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 always it's all been self-taught. Um I've never really ha- had any sort of help with anything, in all honesty. Now, I speak to a guy called or Dave, Chelmantle on Twitter, Dave. I will throw ideas at him all the time, he will come back and throw all the ideas at me. He is probably the only person that I speak to about horses. There's nobody else I, I, I will speak to. But I like it that way, you keep things together, we speak about anti-post stuff all the time, where the value is, etc. He's a fantastic guy with numbers, so he compliments me in that sort of way. Whereas I think he comes at a race complete, from a completely different angle as, as what I would. So I think we compliment each other in that way. Um, but ultimately, no one's ever taught me anything. It's just been a case of hours and hours of, of hard work and making mistakes. There's a hell of a lot of racing
0: do you specialize you try and get it boil it down to a certain sort of type of race or type of horse
1: i'd love to say yes but not no not really um i i know what race i prefer so i prefer novice maiden hurdlers handicap hurdles um young unexposed horses where i feel i've got an angle at um some some horses are uh, been over bet next time or i know where a horse can be over bet because they've been uh flattered by a winning distance or vice versa Um, I don't specialize but I do have to have something that draws me into a race so something I might have seen last week with a horse where I know he ran a great time figure or something for example and he's in this race that might draw me into that race and I'll go in and have a deeper look into that race but ultimately something needs to draw me in and the only way you can get that is if you re-watch racing from previous days and what it'll do is, if you if you end up being lazy, what it'll do is, it'll end up having a knock-on effect down the line. Um, which I hope is not the case of this bear truck. But. <laughs>
0: right, Dave, you said you, were, you weren't there with GG and Betfair, but um, and you're a good sport, you said you like to talk about this as well. You, you used to work for OddsChecker, but you don't anymore. Yeah. What went horribly wrong there?
1: Um. Well, it, Essentially, it was a troll. Or basically, a troll had uh, had screenshotted something I had said on Twitter. I think I said something along the lines. Of, I can't. I can't be sure what it was. I said something along the lines of, "I don't think it's fair to compare my profit and loss to the likes of Andy Holdings when I've only put up one tip a day, and Andy is putting up multiple tips." For example, um, I just th- thought it was more difficult to make profit on one horse a day than anything else. And the guy had been berating me on Twitter and and it was simply just a reply for him to for him to go away give like you know what I mean give him an explanation and go away essentially he's, he screenshots that he sends it in I think to odds checker they, I mean I can only tell you my end of the story I don't know what, what happened there and uh, and then I get a phone call saying that you know we've had complaints in the office and stuff that he's saying that you can't make profit and all this sort of stuff which is obviously not true um, but yeah, ultimately, it was it was time to, to to let me go, and they said with a with an option of coming back in October. Um, obviously, I wasn't going to come back in October. <laughs> if you're not going to kind of have my back, then um, yeah, that that. But that just goes to show the power that some of these trolls have got. So there's a lot of the times where I will probably put, up, ah, oh, guy that didn't win, or and people will say, I'll oh, keep your chin up, mate. You're doing well. Keep your chin up, and that's fantastic and lovely to hear. But I'm not looking for reassurance when I do that. All I'm simply doing is acknowledging the losses because I think it's important. I think, like I said before, I think you've got a moral obligation to people and I think it's important that you acknowledge losses. When you're someone like me, for example, and you work as hard as you possibly can to get into an industry that you've never had any affiliation with, you've never had any contacts in, you've never asked anybody for any handouts or help up the ladder, and you know that you've put everything into that, you become very protective of your position and who you work for. That's why every time I work for anybody, I will give 110%. I will go above and beyond. Um, I don't know if you've read any of the Betfair Cheltenham Festival focuses, for example. They're very in-depth detail stuff, but that's because I want to put 110% into it because I know that I've, I've sort of worked and come from nothing, really. And I don't have, I don't want to say a, a, a popular surname or anything like that, but that's, that's the be-all and end of it. I don't have an in as a lot of other people may have an in. So I have to work harder than everybody else. Well, that's how I feel. So you become very protective over your position. So I think acknowledging losses sometimes can keep the trolls off your back. Other times, clearly not. But I just, I just feel so protective of the position I'm in because of how hard I've had to work. And I don't think they deserve the power that they have, even if they don't know that they've got it.
0: Now, there's something interesting... That you said on twitter the other day I was quite interesting because you are a professional tipster but you said that you don't have much time for pro punters just back leads and other people's marks now i know that you're not tipping to pro punters i suppose but you are still tipping to people that want to follow
1: somebody else's advice so why do you why do you think that i just think that there are some that put hours and hours and hours of work into it and go about their business very quietly and i think there are some others that take what someone's done, the hours and hours of work that someone's done, and then go around and start shouting that they're the professional punter. When really, uh, what are they without that person that's done the hours and hours of work? I think it's very important in any walk of life, in anything you do, even if you're going to go get your driving test, it, to be self-sustainable and rely on you and you and no one else. Because ultimately, your edge is somebody else. and if that person's gone, then you've lost your itch. So that would be why. And that's not targeted at anybody. I know you're thinking it is. It's not because I actually very much enjoyed his interview and I think he's a fascinating character.
0: Now, that we're talking about trolls. Not that he's a troll, but we're talking about trolls. Now, they thought they buggered your career right up, but now you're working for Betfair and you're working for gg.com. Hmm. So you've actually progressed and now you've got jobs that you, you told me that you're, you're like your dream jobs. So, tell us a bit about what you do. You know, sell yourself, shameless self promotion, <laughs> as uh, the head of Star Sports would say. We love it.
1: Um, what do I do? I, I don't know. What to do I do? I ultimately provide tips. I provide a Cheltenham uh, Focus column where every single week we. But
0: one, one's Betfair and one's yep. GG. So, you work for two different.
1: Yes, two of different, course. Yeah, yes, sorry. Ch- uh, Cheltenham Festival Focus is for Betfair. We provide that every single week on the lead up to a festival, We're adding an anti-post betting every single week. We also look back at the previous week's action, slate some horses, um, give a, a big up to some horses that have done well, go into depth with time figures, form analysis and, and stuff like that, and really try and um, get a clearer picture of the Cheltenham Festival as we get closer and closer. So we'll at the end of Cheltenham, we'll have a look at that and see how we've got on over, over the period of time. Uh, for Gigi, is a daily tipping column, so every single day, the evening before that goes up, because people need to understand that our job is not just about tipping, it's about driving traffic to the website as well. So that will go up the evening before race day, um, and there'll be a, a detailed explanation on, on a selection in there.
0: Uh, tricky, I mean, that must be quite tricky, Not you've got to sort of keep your own weather forecasts and stuff like that. Is that the extra, you've become a meteorologist as well? What's, what's that for? Well, if you're tipping the night before, do you have to sort of have... have that in mind what the yeah of course condition yeah. is going to be like the next yeah day.
1: absolutely I tell you it's more frustrating about the prices sometimes I mean it works both ways don't get me wrong it does work both ways but for example the the four point tip that I put up the other day that that, that blew out um I knew that was going to drift I, I just knew it was going to drift but my column goes out in the evening so it's going to go out with that price yeah. you know, unfortunately so I think it was 13 to 8 it's gone out nine four. so and I knew it was going to drift because that wasn't the correct price when it was priced up but that's what i'm saying when they're two different beasts
0: yeah now we sort of said you appear to wear your heart on your sleeve <laughs> you know i've only i've only met you a few times but you seem quite you know you're quite not emotional but you you say it as it is and you also say it as it is on social media do you um do you sometimes think you you know wish you'd chosen a bit of a less pressured job than what you've did? because you've put yourself in a quite a pressurized position now, haven't you
1: yeah uh, no not really because <laughs> You know I'm very, very passionate about it. And I think if you can find something that you're extremely passionate about, I think you can live with the pressure. Uh, I understand what you're saying. Sometimes I do wear my heart on the sleeve on Twitter, but I'm not looking for reassurance. And, and and I'd hope people wouldn't mistake that for me not being confident in myself because I very much am. And we've
0: mentioned that um, you say you'd like to be sort of self sustaining as a punter. Mm. So is that an ambition that you're actively working towards every day and if so what are you doing to try and get to that point and do you think you'd ever want to well, you answer that first and then i've got another one
1: yeah yeah that's definitely because again look like i, like I said before i think you need to be able to sustain yourself look after yourself essentially and uh if i can do that through punting and and use these three years for the for the you know the fine-tuning process etc then, then, then that's what I'm going to do. But that doesn't mean I'm, I don't want to be a tipster, or I'm going to give that up. I definitely want to continue to doing that. But worst case scenario, someone screenshots something, and all of a sudden you don't work for anybody. You need to be able to look in another step ahead to be able to look after yourself and your family and your house. And and that's the way it will go. If if that, God forbid that scenario ever happens. But yeah.
0: So is that is it, do you sort of look on the the work that you do and then publish on your various columns the homework that you would have done anyway for your punting with just a little bit of flair added to it before you put it up there is that how you look at it
1: Yeah yeah pretty pretty much and the punting like I say the punting side of it is um, so so I bet a little bit in running do a, a few other different bits and pieces so the, the punting side of it is separate almost even though i'm still backing the horses that i am tipping because i think that you have to do that as a tipster you've got no leg to stand on ever you can't tell someone to go back this horse if you ain't holding the back of yourself so i think I, I, that's another thing that annoys me but yeah they're two different things so you can work on two separately but you should always be very true to what you're doing on both sides
0: and are you would you back yours the night before which would are- possibly start a price tumble or, or do you sort of hang fire
1: no i hang for i have to hang for fire unfortunately there, there are there are a, a couple of ways of getting on the night before if it's something that i have to and i know it's gonna gonna go and i'm not talking about a rick i'm, I'm talking about a genuine chance that's gonna go um, so there are there are a couple of ways of doing that but i mean you know it's like a counter, like putting a plaster over a wound for a better word aren't they it's inevitably gonna to, gonna to, so know. what
0: what you you know you've got everywhere obviously through determination from what i can gather from this interview but what would you say the secret of your continued success in what
1: you do is it's hard work it's being polite and Honest to everybody you meet and everybody you see. Everybody you meet, you don't know who that person is. You don't know what what things are going to lead to. You, you've got to be polite to everybody you meet, but you've got to work extremely hard. This is not a. This is harder work mentally on the brain than than scaffolding is, you know. And it you have to work hard. There is no replacement for it. And that I suppose that links back to the point about the market card guys, but like that does frustrate me, because I know how much hard work goes into it. You yeah, know, cultivating
0: those contacts
1: is hard work as well, isn't it? It its exactly. And, and getting the money and, 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 and don't get me wrong, there are there are, di- there are different angles, and, and I suppose maybe if I was on the other side of the fence, then I'd feel completely different, um, but, but I'm not. And that's that's not for the fault of anybody oh. else, but it just...
0: But just as an argument, so, so if one of these guys said to you, look, Darrell, I can get you as much as you like on in return for your bets before you you know, if you, in the term for your personal bets not your tipping bets or whatever I mean would you be interested in collaborating well that's a different
1: angle that's a different conversation <laughs> that's <laughs> a different interview I've, I've, I've just
0: dropped that one on you so um, we've got to keep we've <laughs> got to keep these, interview. we've got to keep these things organic <laughs> so the final question where would you in your where would you like to be in 10 years time if you could if you could make it happen which I don't doubt that you won't
1: what, um, where would you be in all honesty, I think just to have the respect of of your peers in the game, um, in in the world of horse racing, I guess would would be gratitude enough, um, really, for me. And to be still doing what I love doing every single day of the week, there's nothing there's nothing more better to do what you love. So, but I think respect from your peers. I mean, there's guys that I admire greatly, like the, the Dixon boys admire them greatly. I'd love to go and do a little bit for racing TV down the line maybe, something like that, but ultimately just the, the respect of your peers and, and to be acknowledged as being in horse racing. Brilliant. i well, Carter. Thank you very much. <laughs> Cheers mate. New Betting People interviews are published every week at Star Sports exclusive interviews with the key people from the world of sports betting check out our full library of interviews at starsportsbet.co.uk begambleaware.org over 18 only